Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. We are going to be in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, the final book of the New Testament, Revelations, Revelation. Uh, chapters 15 and 16 today. You heard it right, two chapters. We're flying through Revelation now. All right, and today, let's give a warning here. Uh, We're going to be talking about wrath because Revelation talks about wrath and God's wrath. And it's something we do. We don't skip over scriptures. We go through books of the Bible. And so when we encounter hard topics, we don't jump over and say, well, that's not popular today. Uh, we deal with it and we learn from it, believe that all of God's word is, is God-breathed and inspired to build us up and to correct us and teach us. And, and so we're in uh, this place in Revelation where we're going to be talking about wrath. And uh, wrath, as defined by Merriam-Webster Dictionary, uh, first definition is a Strong, vengeful anger or ignin, ignin, that's a tough word to say, indignation. There we go. Indignation. Strong or vengeful anger or indignation. And the second definition is like that, but specifically mentions that it involves God. It says, uh, rich, boy, these are tough words. Retribution is one of the words, but it's retributory. I, that, that was the, I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable there. Okay, retributory punishment of, for an offense or a crime, particularly divine chastisement. Particularly divine chastisement. So in our English dictionaries, when they think about wrath in the top two definitions, they bring up that this is something that is God's business, I guess you could say. So how do we square up having a, a, a God that has a strong, vengeful anger, anger, that he has retribution or punishment uh, with the God that is also loving and merciful, slow to anger and gracious. And I believe they square up, and we're going to talk about that, but how do we do that? Um, so today, our consideration is two chapters of Revelation as we hear about seven bowls, the seven bowls of wrath poured out by God's angels. We're going to hear the scripture first, then we will pray, and then we'll go section by section through the scripture. So this is the word of the Lord, Revelation 15 and 16. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. 
And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, True and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. 
and every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You alone should we rightly fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. And Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would help each person here and online to be, to be praying that we could receive your word rightly. This is challenging to us, Lord. The images here, the, the, the message here, the, the wrath that we need to learn about. We, we need your help. And so help us to pray as we listen, as we learn. Lord, help your people to pray for each other. Help your people to pray for me and other preachers that we would rightly declare your word. And Lord, may we take in your truth and not leave it here as some religious exercise, but may we take it in. May it, may it become food for our souls, Lord. May it grow us and, and train us in righteousness and prepare us to serve you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we want wrath? I would say that in our culture, we actually get entertained by wrath or vengeance, and we pay for it sometimes. Here's a clip from a very popular movie called Taken. We'll go ahead and watch this. It'll just be a minute. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, uh, so that movie cost, that was Taken number one, I guess it was so popular they did Taken one, two, and three, I've seen exactly zero of them, but, um, but the clip was so famous that I even know about it, uh, I, I fall asleep during movies now, especially the more adventurous the movie, the more likely I am to fall asleep, but um, so it, it cost only $25 million to make, which by Hollywood standards in 2008 or whenever it was made, that's pretty cheap, I guess. And $225 million for that first one, right? So do people, are they entertained by wrath and murder and all that stuff? Yes. Uh, that is, and, and there's something in us, not just because it's entertainment, that wants justice or revenge, you know, uh, wants, wants wrath. I just want you to consider that. But there's, there's one who can do it perfectly and rightly and in a holy way, and that is God. And then there's many of us including Hollywood, but including us too, who do rap, would do wrath very, very imperfectly, right? So uh, let's keep that in mind. We're going to go through now section by section and, and look at this uh, 
this section today, starting with the, that first chapter 15. We see in verse 1, it says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And, it, you know, this is a great and amazing sign to John. This is being revealed to John. He, he does not say this is small or terrible. He says great and amazing. And you could say that verse 1 is the summary of the whole thing there. It's like a summary introduction. And it, it, it says that these seven angels are going to pour out the seven plagues, right? But it also says, the good news here is that this is the last, that it's coming to an end. And so if you've been looking forward to the end of wrath in the book of Revelation, we're basically getting there. We have a couple more battles to go, but uh, wrath is going to come to an end. We, we see then in verses 2 through 4, this, this sea of glass, this picture of a sea of glass mingled with fire. The, the sea of glass is supposed to, in Revelation, be calmness, but here we see it's, it's mixed with, with fire, right? That God is purifying some things that need to be purified on the earth. And there's this battle that's being pictured on earth between people who are, who are going the way of selfishness, uh, the way of the beast, or the way of the lamb, the way of selflessness, the way of love, the way of Jesus Christ. And so there's this, been this battle, and we see that, that the angels now are singing, in verses 2 through 4, they're singing about the Lord God Almighty, and they're singing a song that's of the Lamb, but also of Moses, Moses of the Old Testament. So they're connecting way back to what God did in the Old Testament when God freed his people out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, and, and used plagues back then, if you know that story, used 10 plagues, and we see lots of similarities between the plagues of, of Egypt back in Exodus and the plagues here in Revelation 15 and, and 16. And so this, this uh, version of the Song of Moses that we have here in Revelation is actually a, a much shorter version of the Song of Moses that you can find uh, in Exodus 15. So uh, let's look at verses 5 by 8. It says... I looked and saw the sanctuary of the tent. Sanctuary of the tent reminds us also of the Old Testament, uh, the, the tabernacle, their holy place of worship, a really, really special tent, right? And then out of this sanctuary, it says the seven angels came, and it came with the seven plagues. So they're coming out of a very holy place, a place for God's presence, a place for worship. So any of us who want to you know, absolve God of being involved with this, this wrath, we really can't. It's God's angels, and they're coming out of his sanctuary. They're coming, you know, prepared by him, sent by him, right? It's one of his four living creatures that gives the seven angels these golden bowls, special set-apart bowls filled with wrath, right? And, and that's hard to think about, that God has been storing up this wrath, in a sense, but for what purpose, we'll, we'll talk about. But it, but it does come out of his sanctuary. And if you're, if you're kind of a history or Bible nut, just, just kind of note uh, how much uh, Old Testament furniture you can find in the New Testament. Some of you have your parents' or grandparents' furniture. That's kind of what it's like here in the New Testament. It's like, wow, that couch is still around. Uh, here, you know, they're, they're talking about Mount Zion, with the temple that we've heard about recently. We've got the the. the sanctuary, the, the special tent or the tabernacle. So those things are being mentioned. This is, the God of the Old Testament is sometimes called the God of wrath, but the God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament are the same God. He was a loving God in the Old Testament. He's a loving God in the New Testament, and he's a holy and just God, 
that hates sin and hates brokenness and hates evil, Old Testament and New Testament. And so the furniture of the Old Testament still fits and is still good in, in the New Testament because it's the same, same God. So you can't say, I'm a New Testament Christian only. You, yeah, that just doesn't exist. We, the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but, but all of the Bible reveals God and who God is. So they come out from the glorious presence of God, and they're, they're preparing the plagues. And uh, yeah, then, then a loud voice, verse 1 of chapter 16 from the temple says, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And I take that to be God giving the command from the temple. He's not, God's not named there, but the united voice of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, basically, it is time to pour out the wrath. And there's no dancing around this. This is holy wrath from God, holy divine indignation uh, and vengeance being prepared by God from God's holy presence and being poured out. So the simple question we can come to, I think, or I came to is, how is this good? How can this be good? God is good. God is love. And this is God doing this and preparing this. So how is this good? We're going to try to ask that of the different plagues as we go through it. Um, But before we we go through that, um, before we ask questions about God's goodness and God's wrath, uh, I do want to be clear on two points of New Testament truth on God's wrath. And first, wrath is real. This is not just a divinely made up concept to scare people into being religious. That would be a skeptical view, you know, religions incorporate wrath to scare people to be loyal to their religion. And that, that, in that view, it's just an idea. It's not really real, They're, you know, but it's just a psychological tool that religious leaders use or something. And I don't believe that. I believe that there is a real God that, that hates evil and disintegration, wants us integrated, wants us whole, wants us restored, and hates the brokenness so much that one day, before he makes all things good and new, he has to get rid of all the disintegration all the brokenness, all the evil. And he told us this, not just in Revelation and not just in the Old Testament, but he told us in a very powerful chapter of Scripture called John chapter 3. You might be familiar with John chapter 3 because verse 16 says, for God so loves the world, right? Have you heard it? Even at football games, they raise the sign, right? John three sixteen, for God so loves the world. Did you know that also in John 3, verse 36, you can check me if you want and go to your, your Bible if you like, John 3, verse 36, just 20 verses after John 3, 16, the same Jesus, right, says this. Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Okay? That's, that's Jesus, and, and I love Jesus, I love what he said in John 3.16, and I need to love what he said in John 3.36. Now, we don't, you know, put that on, on posters very often, or I'm guessing you haven't macramated on a pillow. I don't even know if you macronate pillows. That's, those two things don't go well together, I think. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it is true. Why, why is, for God so loves the world and God's wrath remains on people, how do they go together? Well, 
Jesus wants us to save us from wrath. He loves us so much. He knows that if we stay disintegrated, if we try to go into the afterlife after death without him, without his covering, without his forgiveness, we're not going to make it. We talked in a previous sermon about the person who goes up into space and wants to do a space box, but do it without a space suit. How good is it going to go for that person? Right? Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth, like a parent who teaches their kid how to walk across the street appropriately and safely. You know? He doesn't just say, go and do it however your heart desires. Right? God tells us the truth. And wrath is a, is a basic consequence of the disconnect from God. And, and it's, it's given in intense images because it is intense. It's intense to not be integrated or restored to God, to res- be restored to relationship with God. That's intense. It, and I'm, hopefully I'm going to get intense here because I think some people are like, it's a take it or leave it thing. I'm not, you know, I'm not a church person, some people will say. Are you made by God? <laughs> I'm not, I don't care how religious you are if you think you're some Bible thumper or church now. What I care about is do you know that there's a God who loves you and, and can bring you into eternity, can forgive your sins, can make you an integrated, whole, restored person? And without that, you can't do it on your own. When we are independent, Jesus wants us to know when we are independent of God, that is a dangerous situation. As dangerous or worse than a hundred pound hailstone coming at you, right? I didn't live in Palouse when there was, I guess there was golf ball size hail. Yeah, yeah I, I guess you didn't want to be outside, right? And it damaged a lot of cars. And the image here is you don't want to be in that. You don't want to be apart from God. You don't want to be disintegrated in very literal ways, right? The good news is there's no reason for us to have to suffer the wrath of God because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bore the wrath that we deserve himself. Paul said in Romans 5, 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We don't have to worry about being disintegrated or slammed with a 100-pound hailstone because Jesus Christ was slammed for us in ways we can't really even imagine, but he was. So the symbolism and the, the, the timeline of all of this that we see in Revelation and how this happens, is, you know, it, it, it's, it's all of this is saying, hey, there will be an end. So have some humility now, human beings, and recognize that this life didn't come from you. And there is a God who wants you to enjoy this life now, but rightly and with love, with justice. And he wants to have you in eternity forever, but it's his rules, not yours. So we see with the bowl number one, or plague number one, in the first couple of verses of chapter 16, we see that the angel pours out his wrath on the earth, and and people are harmed in their flesh, painful sores, right? On the people who bore the mark of the beast. And and that happens on earth, and people are hurt. And and that's very similar to something that happens in the Old Testament plagues. And God causes pain here, no denying. And God, I want to say this, God has allowed or caused some pain in your life. And give glory to God for it. If we didn't, didn't have pain, that would be a very bad thing, right? There are some people with that rare condition where they cannot feel pain. And, and, and it leads to all kinds of injuries and issues, Okay. So God allowing pain, this is actually merciful, that people might wake up 
right? That they might actually wake up and feel the pain and say, I need one who can relieve me from this. Bowl or plague two, right? We see that, that the wrath is poured out on the sea, something God made, and all the creatures of the sea, the result is death in the sea, death to God's creatures, right? And this parallels what God did when he turned the Nile River to blood in Egypt. And, and, you know, this, again, is an image of the disintegration of humanity that God is really, he's, he's holding back some of the consequences of our sin. The wages of sin are death, and not just our own death. Yes, that's true, but we do things that bring death to God's creation and death to relationships, but God mercifully has held back some of those consequences. We don't even realize that. Like, if he had given us all that we deserve, like, it, there's so many sins in this room, and I'm talking up here, too. And if we knew all of our sins, like we had to come in with a giant poster board above our head. And then you were like, you did that to me? You were the one who did that to my car? Right? And then, I mean, if it was all, if God just allowed all of the consequences to happen, it would be terrible, terrible. And that's what we see here. God's saying, okay, you want to be selfish. You want to use my beautiful creation for, for your own self-centered ways. Here are the results, even even my beautiful creations in the sea. And so the good, the good lesson here that he's given us in advance, let's not do that. Let's admit our sin. Let's confess it. He's faithful to forgive it. Let's admit that we misuse God's creation in many ways, right? And let's cherish it. Bowl and plague three, right? We see... We see the angels pouring forth the bowl of wrath out into the, the rivers and the springs, the sources of life for humans and communities. They, you could form a community in the ancient world if you could find water, right? You, you needed to be able to drill a well or have a spring to have water. And so when, when he's pouring forth wrath on, on rivers and springs, that, that's places where people could have fresh water. If you can't have fresh water, you can't have community, right? And boy... You know, what I've learned in the last three years is the disintegration of community can happen quickly when people act really selfish. And for a while there, I think God said, you know, I'm going to let you have your nicey-nice community, but I'm going to let a microscopic virus show you who you can be in your heart of hearts when you're selfish. And didn't some of our groups just kind of blow up rather quickly? Right? I'm not taking one side or another of anything. I'm just saying that we can end up killing good things. Instead, they killed the saints and the prophets, right? That, that when we live self-centered, that sometimes we can end up, because we're on one side of a fence or another, or we're friends with one person or another, we can end up, you know, dragging good people's names through the dirt or worse, right? And we can think, oh, well, we're America, we won't be that bad. We'll never be like Rwanda or something, right? Where they started killing neighbors. But that's what we have as human beings, the potential, the, 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 the ugly wrath inside of us that is not holy and not just and is selfish can do terrible things. And so God, God pours it forth and say, if you don't respect one another and love one another, without me, your communities will be disintegrated your life water. If you don't take the living water, what you have on your own is death water. It's not good enough. And if we want to take this to another level, I mean, 
There are places in the world fighting over their sources of water right now. And water, we think, is an abundant resource, and we have abundant water here in the Northwest. It won't be abundant forever, probably. In many places right now, it's scarce, and they're fighting over it one way or another. In countries, they fight over it. So with resources, whatever the resource is, what is going to guide us? Our desire to have the resource, or are we going to be guided by God's love and how we can take care of everyone? In order to be like that, in order to selflessly use resources, we have to have, I think, Christ's living water, the one who gave himself for us. So if we have hard times coming, and I think a lot of places do already, I think we will too, or have harder times, we will be better off if we are guided by Christ's living water, his selflessness, his love, his sacrifice. And then when resources get scarce, we will help one another rather than hoarding and fighting. The fourth angel, what did he do? He poured out his bowl of wrath on the sun, the powerful sun, the star in the sky that helps us. And the result was scorching and increased heat, but also the result was a a cursing of God, right? But not repentance. Do you notice that? They're not repenting in general. I believe that means that it's saying that God is hoping that they would repent, hoping that they would repent. He's not just a God. The wrong way to read this is God enjoying this. He's not enjoying this. This is God has mercifully been holding this back. And now he says, they're not repenting when I hold it back. And I'll let them have their consequences of wrath and and praying and wanting repentance. But instead, we see human beings will curse God. God, the one who has the power to help, they will curse the one who could help them. I I see this already, right? God doesn't answer my prayers in the way he wants, then I'll just curse him. Well, then did you really have faith in him? God doesn't take away that disease. God doesn't do what you think. He's still God. We can't just say God is good after we get what he wants. God is good all the time. God knows what we need, right? And so when things get hot in our life in a bad way, or like this week, it's going to get hot. I got a swimming pool if you need it. Come on over. But, you know, are we going to say, God, you are my relief, right? Under the shadow of your wings is, is my protection and your, you're my comfort. Or am I going to say, okay, it's up to me. I'm not going to repent. I'm just going to double down. A lot of human beings don't, don't repent. They double down and curse God. The fifth angel pour, poured out his bowl. On, it says, on the throne of the beast. You know, I don't know exactly what that is. Uh, but an image of kind of the headquarters. I'm, I'm not sure that we should take this literal, although I could be wrong. At some point, it could be like a literal headquarters of the beast. I'm not going to tell you where that is because I don't know that. Is it, or is it a general thing? You know, is it like technology? I, I, but is it the electricity grid, some people have thought, because it leads to darkness, I think. But, but God is going to pour out his wrath on something that people have been trusting. They've been trusting that that the beast, this false deceptive leader, remember we learned about the beast earlier, he's, he's charming and deceiving people into, into following the way of the beast, the way of human-centeredness, humanism rather than lamb-centeredness, the lamb of God. And, and so, but God is gonna, he's not gonna tolerate that. God is very intolerant here, right? And he, he pours out wrath upon the headquarter of the beast, the headquarters. And 
the people who follow the beast, it's terrible. They're gnawing their tongues in anguish, and they're cursing God. And it's terrible. And they still don't repent of their deeds. And so if it is electricity or it is technology, I don't know. But what would people do if they didn't have their lights, their computers, their power, their Minecraft, right? Or that solitaire that you play all the time, or Wheel of Fortune, <laughs> or your news network of choice that makes you feel so justified in being angry with the world. What if it was all gone? And it was just you and the Bible and a candle. Could you be happy with God? I think the followers of Jesus, if they're here at this time, and I know Christians debate that, but many Christians have had it all stripped away and all they have left is their relationship with God and their Bible and, and the believers around them. Many Christians have gone through that over the centuries and periods of war. Would you be okay? Or would you be mad at God if he took away all of our toys and all of our wealth? Do we deserve all of our toys and wealth? Some would say, you bet we did. We made it. We did this. Be careful. Be humble. One day they might be all taken away. All good things come from him anyway, right? The goodness here, though, is if he does take away all of it and leave us in darkness, which he has absolutely every right to do, we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for him. But if he leaves us in darkness, here's the good news. Even the darkness is not dark to God. We got to tell the kids at Vacation Bible School that this week. It's from Psalm 139. The darkness is as light with you. God is greater than any darkness. Some of you have been through the darkness of losing a, a, a dear loved one, your spouse, your friend, right? Or an important relationship to you. you you've been through deep darkness. But in that darkness, God's light shines and it was not overcome, right? And so there is good news in this plague even that God will allow darkness, the wrath of darkness, but so that people would seek the light. And the question is, are you gonna keep your eyes closed, your eyes open? Because your eyes are open, you'll find his light. If you're seeking him, you will find. But apparently, human ability to remain stubborn runs deep because many did not repent, right? It says... Well, bowl or plague number six it says, it's poured out on the great river Euphrates, this great historic river. Some think that is one of the rivers, right? That's connected all the way back to the, the creation story to the Garden of Eden, right? And here we're seeing that as this wrath is poured out and uh, frogs are mentioned and other things that, that, that God, God is allowing an assembling of evil forces the assembly of demonic forces for a battle in an area called Armageddon. We're not gonna see the battle yet, but I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert. It's not much of a battle. People have sold books and written about Armageddon ton. When we get to Armageddon, you're gonna be like, is that it? Because basically God says, I wanna win, and then he wins. But he's gonna allow um, all, all of this evil to assemble, to think that they can win. And there's lots of connections here, like back, back to the Old Testament with Pharaoh, with the frogs and other things. And, and Pharaoh thought, I mean, he was massive compared to the Hebrews, and he had a military, and he had the military technology of the day, right? The chariots and everything. And, 
And he lost, right? And God drew his forces to the Red Sea, and he used water to beat them. Now, evil, what we can also learn here is evil will not give up without a fight. And that is not just true at the end times, but in your life. Have you been fighting evil or temptation to sin that's just nagging at you or, or some, some thing that uh, just really bugs you that's evil in your, in your life or that you're dealing with? Maybe not yours, but just out there. Know this, and this is good news. Evil wants to keep going. Right? It's not going to give up without a fight. But it's stupid. Spiritually stupid. I mean, think of all the d- demons. If you've ever read the Jesus stories, they're like, oh, the Son of God is here. Let's mess with him. How dumb do you have to be? You know, you end up getting thrown into a herd of pigs or, or whatever. But that's just it. Evil wants to have its way. And will make us think, that, oh, I have to give in to the sin. Or I have to, I have to gossip. Or have to lust. Or I, 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 I just can't fight it. That's one of its stupid ploys. God's power is far stronger. Evil is like just a, frogs are a beautiful part of God's creation, right? But a frog? Are you threatened by a frog? Well, there was a frog in our toilet one time, and that was weird, okay? I felt a little threatened, especially when it came back up. Anyway, but, <laughs> but besides that frog, no, uh, even that frog, I, I'm pretty sure if I had gotten a wrestling match with that frog, I would have won, right? Well, thanks. <laughs> My point is that the image God wants, and what we will see with the Battle of Armageddon is God is far stronger. God is the one who can dry up a river, so stay awake. God, God will allow these frogs, but stay awake. Don't give up fighting evil in your life. We go to Bishop Place every week. You know, there's folks deep into their 90s at the service. You know what? I've, I've learned many things from them. They're still fighting sin. They're fighting anxiety, despair, temptation to gossip. Don't give up fighting it, right? And don't, don't just keep fighting. Fight it, but also believe that when, when God helps you fight it, he'll give you energy to do good things. Instead of tearing somebody down, you're going to be able to build somebody up. Instead of looking at somebody, something you shouldn't look at, you're going to be able to look and rejoice at something beautiful in God's creation. So keep fighting. The fight is worth it, and God wins. Frogs do not threaten him. Okay, bowl and plague seven. We see that God pours out the wrath on the atmosphere. Right? And you see this huge reaction, lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, great earthquakes, as there had never been before. We see a splitting of the great city. Well, that's, that's the Babylon, the great ancient city of the day. And again, it's weird that God is pouring out wrath into his own creation. And all kinds of atmospheric fireworks and, and, and geologic responses, the earthquake. What we see here is the disintegration or the dissolving of the created order itself. If if you look at it, it's like what he did in the six days of creation at the beginning of Genesis. It's almost like in a weird way, God is kind of undoing it. I mean, he's not completely undoing his creation, but he's, he's using different parts of his creation that he made in the first place 
to wake people up, whether it's the seas or the, the rivers, the animals, the sky, the sun. All these things are part of his creation. And he is sovereign over all of it. He can use all of it, right? He's going to make a new creation, but meanwhile, with the creation he has, he's making it rumble, he's making it shake, he's making it yell, he's making it scream. Will you be awake to the reality that there is a God, that your life is temporary here on earth, but can be eternal with him? And we may or may not live in the end of days. I have no idea. God the Father knows, but... God is saying that message to us now. Will you be awake to the reality that your, your life on earth is, is spiritual? You were created to be in relationship with God, reintegrated with him, made whole, restored, relationship with God. That's why the Lamb of God, the Son, Jesus Christ, came, right? Do not choose selfishness, because when you do, you're choosing the way of the disintegration of God's own creation. When you choose selfishness, when you choose sin, when you choose addiction, when you choose to just live independent of God, we, we, we may think it sounds really smart for an academic to do that or somebody. No, it's, it's, choosing, it's choosing disintegration. It's choosing to go against your very created order. You were created in the image of God. It's beautiful. You are created to have loving relationships like the loving relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to go against that, whether you recognize it or not, you're quaking against the very order of God's creation. And so, yeah, he'll use things around you to quake, to wake you up to what you were really created for. He's a merciful God in that way. He's a loving God. God so loves us that he allows us to experience wrath. But we don't have to bear the wrath, right? See, the big point is wrath Wrath is a reality of God's love, God's holiness and God's love. That's the, that's the big point that we'll put up here on the screen. And I think it's on, on the bulletin there somewhere. But the big point is wrath is a reality of God's holiness and love. And the good news is that Jesus bore the wrath of billions because of his love. But Jesus will not bear the wrath of those who are unrepentant or unreconciled. That's what we see here. Those who say, I don't want it. I don't want you. I don't want to live with you forever. I want eternity on my own. Or I don't believe you exist. He's not going to force his love on anyone. But he gives himself, pours himself out that anyone who would open their eyes and seek him would find him. So that's the big point. So be truthful, be kind, have urgency, because these consequences are, are terrible and difficult, but people are suffering these types of consequences in their personal lives now, in their relationships, in their families, in the disintegration of communities or disintegration of a life because of addiction or selfishness or greed. So have urgency now and tell the story of the lamb now who knows our brokenness and our disintegration and says, I can make you whole. I can reintegrate you. I can, I can make you have shalom, as the Old Testament would say, wholeness, forgiveness, newness. And when, when I do that for you, God tells us, you'll be able to love your enemies. You'll, you'll be able to forgive in new ways. Paul said it this way. 
in Romans 12, starting with verse 19. And we'll end with this. Romans 12, 19 through 21. He said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. You'll give him an opportunity to wake up, right? And then he says, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Oh God, you are the opposite of evil. You are perfect and holy and good. And you are trying to overcome, you are overcoming our evil and our brokenness, our selfishness with your your good. You're trying to wake us up. Lord, And you're perfect in your efforts, but you've given us freedom. And so it's up to us to to open our eyes, to seek you, to believe, to surrender to you. I, I, I pray, Lord, that we would not be like Pharaoh of the Old Testament and harden our hearts. I pray for and with the people here and online for anybody in their lives who is headed that way, hardening their heart, doubling down on living independent of you. Lord, show them your love. Show them that life isn't an accident. Show them your lamb, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. We pray for eyes to be opened our own and others, to your great and powerful majesty. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the next steps, consider, I mean, one of the things Revelation should do for us is give us deep urgency and, you know, praying for those who are unrepentant or those who are against Christ, you know, who, who have told you, you know, I don't need Christ. I, I'm praying for them, not not shoving a Bible down their throat, but praying for a softness, praying for open eyes, open ears, open hearts. So pray for the unrepentant, you know. Maybe you need to take that step, put them on a daily list to pray for and to look for ways to serve them. And if you want, uh, number two, if you just didn't get enough of God's wrath, let me know. I'll send you somewhere else. Uh, No, uh, we could talk more about it. I know it is a a difficult and deep and mind-bending topic. So if you want to talk more about it, In all seriousness, please just let me know. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on Uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way. 
and may God bless your day.